a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I, I like how he ran in the room thinking that you accidentally articulated baptism incorrectly. Like, wait a minute, you're mistaken. He said, to me, he said, you sound like a heretic. Right, yeah. It wasn't like, boy, they must be playing a game where they're articulating someone else's belief. It was, I think Pastor Wolfmiller is off his rocker. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a little bit disturbed that you think that I would actually teach that about baptism. And it's so, 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 so deserved to be crunched. I mean, mega crunch. <laughs> so, uh, if you guys would put mega, mega crunch. crunch on the song, that would be awesome. <laughs> keep uh, preaching the word. Pastors, keep it mediocre. Mediocre and hilarious. When you need motivation to do things that you don't really want to do, like take out the garbage, mow the lawn, this is Table Talk Radio. I'm kind of upset that I'm not on this blog here, the Encyclopedia of American Loons. I thought you would be... Like the headliner, like the homepage would be Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, Encyclopedia of American Loons. Uh, yeah. Who else there. is on here? I so- searched for myself. We got Rosebrough. <laughs> Our guy, Rosebrough. Our good friend, Chris It's out, uh, Let's see. I don't know any of these other people. I'm just looking at the archives here. They're just, there's 2,000 in, 2,093 entries in the Encyclopedia of American Loons. And I think it's just people who believe the Bible. That's what qualifies you, which I should just send them a note and say, hey, I believe the Bible. <laughs> so could you include me in the list? Are you feeling left uh, out? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But uh, but the problem is, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe there are some actual loons on here, so. Yeah, I don't who, recognize who any these? of these. Oh, Eric, Eric, I found Eric Metaxas. Eric Metaxas is a fundy apologist, pseudo-philosopher, author, author radio host, Regular on various shows such as Glenn Beck, Mike Huckabee, Laura Ingram. I wonder if Glenn Beck is part of the American Loons. Uh-oh, Rosie O'Donnell's on here, so it's not everyone that believes the Bible. <laughs> huh. How do you know all these people? Yeah, I don't know. I wonder. But, but, I mean, how do you just go around? you got to have a really low standard of lunacy. <laughs> I mean, when you have anyway. over 3,000, I don't know. But we'll be talking about that later in the show, in addition to some buzzwords, some praise songs, some church signs, some... Boy. Boy, a lot of lunacy in this show. Look at this. It's Oh, yeah, it's um, it's alphabetical, so they didn't... It's all the M's, L's. Maybe they just haven't got to W yet. Ah, that's what it is. You're, you're coming. Good. Yeah. Why, I wonder... Let's see here. They, well, how did Roseburg get in here? They must have gone through. They must go through the alphabet multiple times, because they're not up to R yet. So, <laughs> all right. Again, I, uh, well, well, well I'm just out. upset. That, I mean, if uh, I know you feel left out. What do you got to do? You know, what do you got to do to get the attention? I've been on the uh, the, the rope dope atheists have gotten me on there a couple of times to expose my fundamentalism and my irrational belief in the truth of the scriptures. At least I should get recognized in the American loon. It's interesting that I think a Lutheran um, would separate himself from the fundamentalists, uh, but the in the eyes of the atheists, then we are right in there with all the fundamentals. Can you explain that? 
Uh, well, but I think, I mean, it depends on what you mean by fundamentalism. So, you know, fundamentalism was a official thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, these here's these fundamentals um, that that we all believe the seven it was this tract like in the 1910s right I can't remember all the history but there's a historical development that resisting the higher criticism and they said we believe in the in the miracles of the Bible and the six day creation and the inerrancy and infallibility of the scriptures and so forth and those became the fundamentals and the fundamentalists were the churches that stuck to that and in but so we were not part of the historic thing there but we do confess the infallibility of the scriptures six-day creation and all that stuff which basically makes us fundamentalists and we just say what the bible says is true that i mean as far as that goes that's what a fundamentalism is flam and i would always talk about this all the time how for whatever reason the lutherans don't want to be lumped in with the fundamentalists but basically we are mm-hmm. I mean, at least we sh- we ought to be a fundamental what, what is what's the opposite what's the alternative i don't know I don't know. I, I think Lutherans are always trying to create a category for themselves. <laughs> we're not Protestants. We're Lutheran. <laughs> I think that's true. We're not fundamentalists. We're Lutheran. Okay, fine. But know what? Those sort of subtle distinctions, you know, you gotta, you gotta get way up the layer cake to start making those. those. Hey, oh, have I given you my layer cake uh, illustration? Oh no, this no, please. This is a, I've been thinking about this because uh, the wedding cake illustration because there's sometimes because you know sometimes we're, we so here so here's the question where is the fight where are the front lines where are the lines drawn where I'm on this side and you're on that side and we're fighting against each other okay so wh- where does that happen and and we want in life to have real clear lines here's where we here's where we fight and here's where we don't fight everyone on this side of the line is our friend everyone on that side of the line is our enemy but the problem is there's a multi-layer fight going on when it comes to what's truth so you got to picture it like a wedding cake so the when you're on the bottom of the wedding cake maybe there you're talking about how there the lines are drawn where do we live in a created and ordered world or do we live in a violent chaotic world there's the line of, do you believe that God created stuff or that we just happen to be here? And when we're down fighting that battle, we are lumped in with basically everybody who believes in God altogether. So the, the, the Lutherans are, and, are, and the Baptists and, the, and even people who are Jewish and Muslim and whatever, we're all on the same team and we're fighting against the people who would reject it. But then you got to go up another layer, which is, hey, is God has God made himself known in the scriptures? Is God uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And then you have all the people who confess the Trinity fighting against those who are, are not. Now, what, what happens is the person who's my friend on the first fight becomes my enemy in the second fight. You see how that goes? Now, they're still my friend in depending on what we're talking about. And then the layer, there's another layer cake, which has to do with stuff like the truth of the scripture, the liberal versus conservative fight, the stuff of the sacraments, the stuff of the decision theology, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you get to the top. And it's just you. And, <laughs> no, it's the, cate- that, the top is the catechism. So, oh, okay. so the bottom layer is, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. The middle layer uh, has to do with the scriptures. The top layer has to do probably with the third article of the creed and the sacraments so that there's different fights at different places. So I can sit here and fight, for example, with who of, of all people of goodwill who don't want to let the babies be killed in the womb. You could be a pagan or an atheist or a whatever. And you're when we're friends for this fight, whereas then when it's time to talk about who God is or what the Bible says, then we become 
we become enemies. And I think that's so this is the wedding layer cake of how we argue about theology. But you're saying, though, that the top layer of the cake should be the small catechism um, or we might even say by extension the Lutheran confessions. Um, but to drill down uh, further than that, to say that, well, um, you're not, um, uh, I don't know, you, you don't believe in this aspect of theology that I do, uh, even though we're in agreement in the Book of Concord. Yeah, that's right. It's um, there's a, there's a very great danger that at the top of the cake you're standing by yourself. We want to avoid that. We but we want to. We want the cake to top off where the Lord wants it to top off. So Jesus yeah. says, hey, teach all these things. And, and, and so people want to lower the cake or they raise the cake too high. So it's a, it's a matter of wisdom about where these, where these fights are where, and, and how, you choose to, how you choose to fight them and, and to make sure that, hey, even it, it's important for me to say, hey, when I'm sitting here fighting against the Baptist about the doctrine of, of a baptism, for example, which they name themselves after, I want to I want to argue with that guy in such a way that when it's time to turn around and talk about apologetics and and evolution or whatever that we're going to be able to be friends and fight together, so that we're we're able to we're, we want to be always people of goodwill like Saint Paul says live as much as possible as with as much as the, is within you live at peace with all people, so we want to do that because it is just going to be the case that at one moment when we're fighting against someone the next moment we're going to need them on our team yeah. Very good. Let's see if we can get our buzzwords in in two minutes. So you go first. Oh, yeah. My buzzword is the fifth commandment, which, by the way, is you shall not murder. You know, sometimes you, when we're teaching catechism, you're like, fifth commandment means you shouldn't murder. But, you know, you guys know not to murder. But probably we should emphasize it nowadays. It seems like everybody <laughs> wants to be a murderer. Bombing and shooting. And it's violent. Man, times of Habakkuk we live in. Mm-hmm. Uh, my theological buzz word, phrase, letters for you are uh, Cairo. Now, Cairo is in reference to a symbol that you might see. It looks like uh, like an X on the bottom with a P sticking out the top of it. Uh, it's actually two Greek letters, a chi and a rho, <laughs> the first two letters of... <laughs> you have, you have hey, buzz letters. Can you letters. tell me again what letters are in Cairo? <laughs> okay, so for, the first one is a chi. But then the second one comes along. It's a row. Anyway, the rows Those right, the right on top of the chi. And uh, it's the first two letters of Christos, which is Christ in Greek. So you might see this uh, like on your baptismal font at church or maybe on your pastor's stole or what have you. Uh, and it's a, a symbol that reminds us of Christ. So the Cairo is your buzzword. Cool. All right. Well, we successfully did our buzzwords in two minutes. When we get back from this break, we're going to be reading an email from one of our listeners sent to questions at tabletalkradio.org. It's a church sign. And then we also have a question regarding mixing liturgy and praise songs, talking about concupiscence today, and then the moment you've all been waiting for, the praise song cruncher. That's the lineup for Table Talk again? Radio. Okay. Yeah, we have to figure out how, how that works. Uh, right. If you have anything that you want to let us, you want to tell us about, you can send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. You can also call us and leave a message, 1-800-385-SOLA, 1-800-385-7652. We'll be right back. More Table Talk Radio after this break, and Pastor Wilson is going to do some crunching. Stay tuned for that. Huh.
it's really classy up here. Table Talk Radio will be right back. Get the Around the Word devotions delivered to you in a free daily email. You can f- sign up for that at whatdoesthismean.org. Click the Devotions button. Hey, welcome back Table Talk Radio. All right, here's a church sign for you, Pastor Wolfner. It comes from Laura in Texas that says, Spotted... Texas, Australia? Uh, maybe. She didn't specify. We'll just assume that it's... I, you know how it's amazing how all these people in... in um, What is it? Not From? Oh, yeah. This little town in the outback of Australia called Not From. All of our listeners live there. It's amazing. <laughs> Anyway, not from Australia. Home but this is a place where Texas. jokes never get old. Um, Bastrop, Texas, Australia. <laughs> yeah. Here's the here's the church sign. It says forbidden fruit creates many jams. And Laura has a, <laughs> a category suggestion. She suggested it's for those times when the pastor can't decide between being punny and being guilt trippy. <laughs> Why choose guilt trippy. one when you can do both? And she says thanks for preaching your, the law. Thanks for the Guilt consistent mediocrity. Thanks for writing in, Laura in Texas. Wow. All right. No so, one's really called us consistent since 1985. When when was this sent? I wonder. <laughs> Somewhere around April. There. Huh. Yeah. We're not that consistent, actually. That's one of the problems. Well, you I, know don't, the I don't pro- think that she was got- saying that we were consistent, <laughs> just that we were consistently mediocre. Mediocre, constantly. What? How does how does our Rush Limbaugh say it? Uh, constantly surpe- surpassing all audience expectations, and that's not us. We're constantly barely meeting all audience expectations. <laughs> you know what? Ha- I think I figured this out. The people who, <laughs> who, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I <laughs> the people heard us make a funny joke one time, like five years ago, and like maybe they're gonna make another funny joke. Like maybe there's gonna be one of those magic moments. <laughs> And they keep hanging on. It's like, it's like you go to a Jim Gaffigan show these days, and you're like, oh, man, I hope he can capture some of the magic of the hot pocket. And it just doesn't happen. But you're like, maybe it'll happen again because that was hilarious. <laughs> I don't know how long that can last, though. How long can our listeners keep tuning in to just try to get some of the magic that I mean, we used to have? I mean, what, what's, what's his name? Um, Gaffigan, Gaffigan uh, hasn't yep. captured... Uh, your art of hanging on to jokes that most people would think <laughs> yeah. are now old. The, no, no, no. We went to the we went to the Jaffa, to the Gaff, I've been to two Gaffigan concerts now, by the way, is and I'll still concert? go. That's I'm this. What is it? I, well, you he, know they say they play. Have you? This is how the comedians talk. Have you played Radio yeah. City Music Hall? Oh, I've played there. You played there? I, I'm not in the biz play, like you joke. are, so I'll I'll yield yeah, to your expertise. insider language. And both shows, Gaffigan ended with the hot pockets joke. Really? So he did his normal new set, and then he ended with the hot pockets. And he says, <laughs> "I've been I'm hungry. I think after the show, I'm going to get a hot pocket." And everyone goes, "Yeah, hot pockets!" <laughs> so, I remember the that, hot so that's kind of his. When I was 12, that's kind of his tag, I suppose, his tagline. So what's ours? I mean, what's our go-to joke that everybody? Is hanging on to here. I mean, it's probably something I don't know. The thing but that Gaffigan has is humor. Well, yeah, it's got to be the points. But you know, we don't even hardly play games anymore. No, you just anyway, ramble on. That's what are we all doing? The show is we're talking Church about ideology. forbidden fruit creates many jams. What do you think about that? I don't know. I mean, it's a punchline. 
Forbidden fruit creates many jams. Ha ha. I think this side's more on the punny than the guilt trippy, though. I don't know. I think it does, too, because jam, you know, jam means also the fruit jam, and it also means traffic jam. It also means, ooh, man, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Good thing I explained it. (laughs) Yes. Thank you very much. All right. uh, Now we go on to an email. This card is archived. Boom. I saw you do that just instantly. Now I know the conversation. It's time to move on. Okay. (laughs) I'm glad you're getting subtle hints. But they're not so subtle when you have to talk about it on the air. All right. Um, Why don't you take this one? I think Will's probably from Australia somewhere. Will. Will from Australia. Dear Table Talk Radio, thanks for doing this unique program. That's what. That's like when someone says, "You guys are special." <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like it's like. What do you think of my new talk coat? Radio it's warm looking. <laughs> it's yeah, that's unique. I've only recently begun listening to Table Talk Radio, but particularly enjoyed the praise song cruncher. What? <laughs> oh, will stay tuned. Recently, I have voiced skepticism of the praise and worship among many of my family members who enjoy the worship style. It's always dismiss my criticisms and tell me that they have nothing against the liturgy and wish that in contemporary worship services, praise songs would be used to replace the hymns while still using the liturgy for the order of worship. The people who say this are basically charismatic Lutherans. Mixing praise songs and the liturgy seems to be a strange theological concoction, like mixing charismatic and Lutheran. I added that part. But it also seems like this might be a good compromise on worship. What are your thoughts on mixing the liturgy and the praise songs? Secondly, in many episodes, you mentioned your friend Chris Rosebra. So I looked him up, and I found this article about him, AmericanLoons.blogspot.com. <laughs> what do you think of this? Sincerely, Will from well, Australia. Well, I think, though— I think the American Loons—this is, is a blog of people who it's believing that marriage is a man and a woman, saying that— the ordination is limited to, to men just basically believe in the bible kind of stuff is what he gets criticized for there so right i wouldn't give this website much stock especially since i'm not on it that's if i <laughs> kind of jealous well, how I, rose brock gets I'm, on all these great man I'm, I'm sure the curator of the blog is willing to take submissions if you want to just submit your own name yeah if anybody say, wants hey, to say just i believe put the bible talk also, radio over there you want to add me to your list yeah, that yeah, actually would yeah. be pretty loon. funny if if you got like a thousand a flood of about a thousand emails saying, "Hey, I believe the Bible too. Why why aren't I on your website?" I'm gonna send him that letter right now. Okay, do it now. Uh, I think American though to to Will's primary question concerning mixing liturgy and praise songs, I think this is why you actually created the praise song crunch in the first place because it was putting forward that well, you know, the theology of the song can be consistently the same, it's just that the style changes. And since the Bible doesn't address style, then uh, whether we sing hymns or whether we sing praise songs, it should be um, something that is uh, theologically neutral, and they're just two forms of delivering the same thing. But I think what you discovered in this is that they're not actually delivering the same thing. Is that true? Uh Yes, it, 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 they could be. It's not of necessity. It's not by definition, but it is by, by sort of practical analysis. This is a really interesting thing. You could say, well, why don't we just put the praise songs in place of the hymns, and and I, you couldn't. You could try to do it, but it doesn't fit. It's not. There's something about the integrity of the praise song that requires its own context. So, so that would actually be a good experiment to sort of see what's going on there, to send a note to the to the praise songer and say, hey, 
Uh, could you praise song during the liturgy instead of praise song during the praise song set? Why, why could, could we do this? Why couldn't we, etc.? And see what they say. And, and they might make their own argument against it, is that the problem is the praise song is, is part of a bigger picture. It doesn't just sit there on its own. And, and the idea of being swept away by the emotions of the experience of singing the song is in part connected to the idea of you don't have the liturgy and the people chanting and the band da- sitting down or whatever during the during the middle of the show it it just doesn't it 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 affects what the what the what the praise song is trying to do mm-hmm. now i i think that i'm sympathetic to will from australia what he says here is what why couldn't we do this but it's not the argument would I think the argument would be stronger on the praise song side of things than it would be on the liturgy side of things. I mean we say let's sing new hymns all the time. You have new hymns coming on and you have different sort of instrumentalists singing hymns and we sing new hymns and we sing old hymns. Would be a problem for the praise songer and that is that kind of shows you that kind of gives up the game on their side of things, I think. Hmm. I I mean I think um Will is suggesting that this hasn't been done, and I think that it has. But the reason that it's not on the uh, uh, on the minds of people, particularly the ones that Will from Australia is uh, talking to, is because what has the what, what the, the what happens when that's done is that the um, the praise song overtakes the liturgy, not the other way around. And so, um, have you, I mean, I'm, let's say this is done. So we're going to have the liturgy. But in place of all the the hymns, we're going to do a praise song. Suddenly, it doesn't seem so appropriate for the pastor to be wearing robes anymore. It just seems out of place. Uh, pretty soon, it seems um, that, uh, th- th- that the praise songs and the uh, confession and absolution don't really seem to go together anymore. And why are we confessing this creed that's really old? Why are we standing and sitting down for various things? Um, and so what happens is that the 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 praise song which is has as its purpose of invoking a particular emotional experience is not consistent with the with the purposes that the liturgy has brought us so where where the liturgy is bringing us some kind of reverence to god and that the the robes and the albs and and everything else is trying to uh, show us that uh, that that the uh, the man that serves is a servant of Christ, that that's a covering over of the person, and an office is being served. Those things aren't consistent with what the praise song is trying to do. So one will overtake the other, and it's usually the praise song that overtakes the liturgy. Yep, that's right, on purpose. I mean, these guys want to say—all all these guys that want to change it say, hey, look, we, we're all for it because we just think it's a matter of style. So we want to do this style, and we want to do that style to apply to, to people, but they don't— it's it it is the it is the praise song that attacks the liturgy. It's like a it eats away at it. They can't coexist. It's a it's a parasite that will eventually destroy the host. Right. And the point is is that the gifts given in the liturgy are trying to give objectivity. That's the whole point. Certainty in the promises of God through the means of grace. And what the praise song is trying to do is bring subjectivity, assurance in oneself through an emotional experience. So these two things are just at different purposes and odds. So we need to take a break, and we'll be right back. More Table Talk Radio after this. The Theological Game Show, Too Outrageous for Television. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. 
I'm taking some old Luther stuff, pulling it out of the collections and publishing it. You can download it for free or buy them for five bucks. Find it, the Everyone's Luther, at wolfmuller.co. Click on the books at the top of the page. Okay. Man, I know all this uh, cool no copyright music stuff. I gotta send you some. Why? I know all about it from the YouTube. Why, why would you, know would you need to send it to me? I don't understand. No reason. Just in case you'd know. <laughs> you just so you know about it. I don't want you to be ignorant <laughs> about the copyright music that doesn't put people to sleep. <laughs> See what I did there? Oh man. Anyway, oh. Uh, that I would have put that on a church sign. That was so hilarious. <laughs> All right, what are we doing now? <laughs> All right, another letter. It says... Oh, look at this. Uh, 20% off at Lulu. 28. It'll be outdated. You know, I better put it on the Facebook. You know what I use on my, my browser? Huh, what? It's an a ad blocker. And I think our connection is fun- functioning as an ad blocker, because right when you started going into that, we got cut off. So it's like, it's really? Like an the audio... 20% off on Lulu? Yeah. Oh, you, hmm. you snuck it by that time. Okay. Ah, All right. Lulu, 20% <laughs> off. Wolfmealer.co. All right. Uh, uh, Get her promo code 2018. Boom. Email from Debbie in Sterling Heights, Michigan writes, Hi, pastors. Evan's buzzword on September 24th show was concupiscence. I was what just, year? Uh, I don't know, 2009 no or something. Every year. Every um, September 24th, probably, you yep, use that buzzword. Yep. I was just wondering what the difference is between concupiscence and temptation. If concupiscence is the desire to sin, and even if the sin is not committed, it's sinful that we thought it up. Then what about temptation? How can we be tempted and that temptation not be a sin? Jesus was tempted, yet was without sin. Just curious. Hope my question makes sense. It makes perfect sense, Debbie. And so, uh, yes, so I think she brings up the perfect point that um, that uh, Jesus himself, who is uh, without sin, was tempted by the devil. So that that temptation to sin came not from within, but from without. So the devil comes along and tempts Jesus, but uh, but uh, because he is free from free from sin, he did not have the inclination to co- commit those sins, though he was tempted. When um, when we are tempted, there. We, we are certainly tempted by the devil, of course, just as Jesus was. But what is different between Jesus and us is that we have a sinful nature. So that uh, we, our, our desires, um, our inclinations are to commit the sin from within. Um, and that is concupiscence. Pastor Wolfner, how would you explain that any better? I'd, so let's. What if we think about it like this? Like, um, remember how Jesus talks about the heart as the soil that the seed is planted in? Well, there's good soil and there's bad soil. And so, we after the fall, we have that we have in our own conscience, in our own hearts, we have fertile ground for the devil to sow temptations. So we have a we have a flesh that's inclined towards. And has de- and has false desires for all sorts of things, and then the devil comes along and he he plants temptation in that, so that, like you said, one is the kind of state of our own heart, and the other is what the devil wa- or the world want to add to it, and um and so this 
this concupiscence is itself a sin already, the inclination to sin, the desire to sin, and the, and the, and the sinful desires that arise up out of it. They, those are sinful indeed, but then temptation comes inside. Yes, so we can think about Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. Um, Adam and Eve were not inclined to sin, so they didn't just walk up to the the tree and and start eating it. So, so this is this is how it would be uh, in the fall. Uh, if we were in the Garden of Eden and we were already in the fall, if if that were the case, then God would come along and say, "You may have any tree of the garden, but the one." Uh, in the middle of the garden, you shall not eat of it. And upon hearing that, our sinful flesh would want to go right to that tree because we want that which is forbidden. That's what concupiscence is. But in the garden, before the fall, there was not concupiscence. And so um, it wasn't until the serpent came along that would convince Eve uh, to to sin, and then the, the fruit looks desirable for food. Do you see the difference? Yeah. Yeah, see, now do you know that our friends, the Roman Catholics, say that Adam and Eve had concupiscence, but it wasn't sin? What? In the garden before the fall? What? Oh. <laughs> that's, I, I, that's what I think. <laughs> you kidding me? You gotta be but kidding me. I, I think there's a point, though, because, the fall? because if, if we understand concupiscence to be neutral, morally neutral, that, that it itself is not sin then um, it makes us the controllers of uh, whether we uh, can avoid sin or not. So, in other words, if I have an inclination to sin, if I am tempted towards a particular sin, it's, if, <laughs> okay, when, um, it's it's my performance that that answers a question whether I sin or not. So, so I, I, uh, I don't know. I see an opportunity to uh, take fifty dollars off of the counter at the at the bank teller thing, and I and I and I in a moment think I can get away with that, but at last I did not steal it, so therefore I am righteous. But God doesn't just look at our hands and what we've done; He also looks at our hearts and our desires and the fact that we even wanted to steal. That, that that looked good. That looked appetizing. Taking what is not mine was a desire that even entered my heart is already sin. So we can, at the end of the day, not say, thanks be to God, I, I, I successfully overcame sin today. At the end of the day, even though we didn't take the cash, we repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry for even the desire to take what is not mine. That's concupiscence. And the Roman Catholic um, does not see concupiscence itself as a sin, only the moral action that took place thereafter. This is on the Examination of the Council of Trent, Volume 1, page 319, for those of you following along at home. Mm-hmm. Me. Uh, he says, it is therefore the opinion of Andrada. Remember the Andrada, the bad guy who wrote the Council of Trent? Uh, the great defender of the Council of Trent, we should call him, the opinion of Andrade that concupiscence, such as it is in this corruption of nature, so it was also in uncorrupted nature, where, however, it was restrained and suppressed by original righteousness, that therefore it was not in itself sin, if only it is bridled, which is done in the regenerate. 
Wow. But that the loss of the original righteousness in Adam does not conflict with any law of God, but only with the intention of the general law of nature, by which the preservation of nature is commanded to everyone. But that in us, the lack of original righteousness has only so much of the nature of sin as it has of the voluntary. But because it has only a very small measure of the voluntary, that therefore original sin is the least of all sins. <laughs> wow. Man, I got all these Catholics trolling me on the YouTubes. I need to just, I, I got to do my devotions with Chemnitz every day. <laughs> Who just, you know. Right. Man. So the Catholic Church says concupiscence is not a, is not a, uh, this corruption of nature was held in check by original righteousness. It's not in itself sin. So the inclination to sin is not in itself sinful. That's just almost unimaginable. Debbie concludes her email by saying, reading Pastor Wolfmuller's book, had to wait a long time to get it from Amazon. So far, huh. awesome. Well, so hey. far. Let's wait. Let's get a updated review when you finish the book. Once you get past Evan's endorsement, it goes down. <laughs> <laughs> Actually... I don't think uh, I don't think my endorsement made it into the book. It was, you know, the my endorsement made it on the cutting room floor somewhere. <laughs> really? So, I don't really know. Huh. Uh, all right, so huh. let's go do some uh, uh, praise song crunching. I think first, Pastor, yeah. if you would set up the praise song cruncher, what it is all about and what it's trying to do. Okay, so we noticed a couple of years back that the praise songs have taken a distinct mystical turn. Everything's focused inward and on the experience of the divine presence. We said, how do we? And, and so, the, so the thing was, we said, hey, I'm not sure we should sing the praise songs. And the people would say to us, well, where's the false doctrine? Show us the false doctrine. You know, like a, that was the threat that we got. So, and we started looking and we're like, wait a minute. There's no false doctrine in here because there's no doctrine at all. So then what do you do? What do you do with a thing that's got no doctrine? Well, how do you judge it? So so we invented the praise song cruncher. We're on version three now, right? Uh, 2.5, I believe. To ferret out the the mystical content. So we say, hey, is Jesus mentioned? Yes or no? That lets you know if it's a song to Jesus or not. Then we say, is there some law and gospel? No, 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 no. Then we say, is it mystical in form, mystical in content, is, is there law and gospel, and then is there any other false doctrine? And it's the mystical questions that th that's the money ball right there. That's where the that's where the rubber really hits the road. All right, so let's take a look at the first email we got from Dave in Las Vegas, where he asked us to praise this. Las Vegas, Australia. I think so. Uh, it says it's written by an LCMS. What Lutheran. happens down under stays down under. <laughs> Uh, so here's the song. It's called This Dust, and it's written um, by Kip Fox. We'll probably have a chance to listen to it on, uh, on this side of the break, and then we'll have to come back for the crunch. So uh, This sure. Dust by Kip Fox. Lord, have mercy on me.
All right, that's the song This Dust by Kip Fox. We're going to be running it through the Praise Song Cruncher after this break, and then we'll have another one if we have time. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. If you have praise songs for us to crunch, questions at tabletalkradio.org. We'll be right back. Stay tuned for this break. Table Talk Radio. The disaster continues. I save all the good stuff for grappling with the text, a little video Bible study that you can find at worldvieweverlasting.com. All right, we're back on Table Talk Radio, and we are in the middle of a crunch. This is This Dust by Kip Fox, and the words go something like this. Have mercy on me. I am riddled with the world's disease of taking what I want and turning it into need. Concupiscence right there. I am flesh and blood, never good enough. You poured out your love to cover o'er this dust. Oh, what senseless love that you would come to join with us and drink this uh, this cursed cup, redeeming all that you've undone, that we've undone, sorry. That we've undone, yeah. we've undone. Uh, we are flesh and blood, never good enough. You poured out your love to cover o'er this dust. And mercy reigns uh, on all the shame and washes all the stain away. Death is all around us. We are not afraid. Written is the story. Empty is the grave. All right, so that's the song, huh. This Dust. What do you think? Interesting. Very what? interesting. Well, let's just run through the... I, I, by the way, I like the style of this. I, I pulled out my guitar the other day. I've de- I have decided that we can't neglect the making of music in this world. It's part of our hu- own humanity, and we listen to music. We get, everybody should be making music one way or another, so I've been trying to get my scales back up and stuff like this. So, And, and the style that this guy, Kip, has is kind of cool. I, I just I like the sound of it and everything. And I think if I, I'd, I'd love to write songs like this and and sing them, et cetera, et cetera. So, the 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 music and stuff itself, I don't I don't have any criticism of at all. Okay. Uh, what about? Well, let's just run through the questions of the cruncher. The first question is: Is Jesus mentioned? No. He, well, maybe, maybe. Do you see it? Like it's um, it says, "Lord, have mercy on me." Okay. So that's. But the very last line, empty is the grave, that is most likely a reference to Jesus. Well, and also when he says, um, oh, what senseless love that you would come to join with us, that is, I think, by necessity, yeah. ass- assuming the you is God, um, is right. an implication that it's the incarnation. Right, right, that's right. So uh, the the allowance for this in the praise on country is yes in concept. You're right. Okay. Yep, that's right. Uh, so Jesus is not explicitly mentioned, but it's there. You got to make now. Now we want to make the the point here is that if someone's just kind of doesn't know anything about Jesus and doesn't know the creed, and they come to sing the song, they're like, what do you guys? What the heck are you talking about? So just to make the point, which I think needs to be made, um, is that with the argument that the praise songs are more accessible than the hymns, because the hymns sound old and the praise songs sound new. The, the problem is that falls apart when you start looking at the words, and there are always assumptions, the things you got to know to make sense of this. And so you got to know the story of Jesus. you got to know the doctrine of the Incarnation. you got to know the, the account of the resurrection to know that this is talking about Jesus. So yeah. you got to bring that with you. That's right. 
Okay, next is mystical form. Does a song use sentences with subject, verb, and object, or sentence fragments? Is the song repetitive? Uh, does it repeat the same things over and over, or does it uh, repeat the same things over and over? Is it very repetitive? Does it use the same? I'm just kidding. Okay, um, so mystical form. I don't know. I think it. Um, I think it mostly uses sentences. It has a. It has a refrain that it comes back to a couple of times, but it doesn't obsess about it. So it's. It's not that. I am flesh and blood. You put out to cover. I don't. It's not. Uh, I do not think it is mystical in form. Okay. I don't, I don't think so. What do you think? Uh, there's not really a lot of repetition. As you mentioned, there is a refrain, but uh, a lot of uh, hymns and songs have refrains. So, what, what do you think this means at the end? And mercy reigns on all our shame. Oh, oh, that, I know what that It should be our shame, not our shame. I got it. And mercy reigns on all our shame and washes all the stain away. Okay, got it. So that didn't make sense, but now it's just a typo. The yeah. wrong word. Wrong R for our. Yep. Um, okay, so the next question is... How come he is, published this in, in cars and vehicles on YouTube, I wonder? You it, can pick a category of your thing? Oh, cars oh yeah, vehicles. look at that. Uh, that know, is interesting. Uh, so Maybe the next question is mystical it. content. This is where we're using um, re- romantic imagery, loss of self, this internal action of God, or the experience of seeing, touching, feeling God. Is it is there mystical content? Yeah, it gets close because it has this picture of covering, covering by the blood, but it not, but it's it replaces blood with love. It's really this is a really interesting move in the song. You poured out your love. To cover over this dust, hmm. and it washes all the same, so that so that that love, it, the blood is the love, and the love is the blood. It would be nice to make that explicit, but as an artistic move, I suppose it's it's fine. So so the major imagery is being clothed in the blood of Jesus, which is a biblical picture. It's a, it is a favorite also of the mystics, but it's biblical. So so we can't we can't take it to task for just for that reason. You would want other mystical sort of stuff. Uh, here and I don't think there's, I don't think the big thing with this song is the is the mysticism. I, I'm not sure. I don't think that's the, I don't think that's the problem. Okay, so now we're gonna get to the last question. Is there any other false teaching not already addressed? Well, well, well on the way to that, we have the law gospel question, and I think those oh, yeah. two are gonna dovetail together. Um, I am riddled with the world's disease. You pointed out that that is a kind of a reference of concupiscence, I'm, of taking what I want and turning it into a need. So it's presenting that as the problem. But then listen to this next line. I am flesh and blood, never good enough. Ah. You poured out your love. So so the I am flesh flesh and blood there. And it's understood, if you were to say to the song, what is my problem? It would say, well, the problem is that you're flesh and blood. Mm. But that is not that is not our problem. Right. Right. Uh, I I mean, so I understand what it's saying. But it's 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 it's, okay. Go ahead. Well, well, this is this was actually a a controversy time of the Reformation. So that the formula of Concord actually takes up this very discussion. So that we that the discussion was is humanity depraved and sin. The answer is, of course, yes. But how do we how do we understand uh, humanity's relation to that sin? And if we understand that humanity is corrupt in its very essence then the essence of humanity that Jesus himself takes on the incarnation itself would be sinful. So now we have a sinful Savior dying on the cross for sin, which is no uh, atonement whatsoever. 
So the the right, right way that we must understand um, our original sin in relation to our humanity is not of its very essence, but as uh, an accident to. So that that takes the Aristotle distinction, as I think you've described quite well, that the the accident is not the intrinsic being of a thing. It's it's not the actual makeup of a thing. And but it's, it's an it's an mm-hmm. attribute of a thing. And so when Jesus then takes on our humanity, he can do so free from all sin. So you're right. I, I, I have two criticisms of this song. The first one is to to simply say, I am riddled with the world's diseases. And so if we articulate sin merely as a disease and not as an act of transgression, then we're just the victims in all this. But Christ didn't die just because we were victims. He died because we were transgressors. We were active participants in sin. And then secondly, the point that you made, that uh, it makes flesh and blood the problem to which Jesus could have no answer then. Right. That's right. Because, uh, I mean, just to kind of hit that nail again, um, Jesus was flesh and blood. He was not a sinner. Adam and Eve were flesh and blood, and yet they were not in need of redemption before the fall. You and I and all the the Lord's people will be flesh and blood in the resurrection, and that's going to be no problem at all. When the incarnation is not part of the humiliation of Christ, because when in, now even now he's in glory, he still has his flesh and blood. So that flesh and blood is not the problem. What, what the, so what the song does is, so the biblical language is flesh and blood is humanity, but flesh will sometimes be used as our sinful nature. Ah, so to, and what the song does yeah. is it it takes the it takes the idea of flesh. I am fleshly, sold into sin, like Saint Paul talks, and it uses the biblical phrase flesh and flesh and blood, which is just a, it, it could be just you're working with the with the poetry, and that's what happens. But. Um, but the problem is, then it goes on. I'm flesh and blood, never good enough. You poured out your love to cover over this dust. Again, so flesh and blood and dust are in parallel there. And that's true. We are dust. We came from dust. We're going to dust. Our humanity is, we're of the dirt. That's what Adam means, dirt, earth. So, but the problem is not our dustiness. That's not, that's not the issue. The, the, the issue is, is, like you said, our willful breaking of God's law. Mm-hmm. That, that's why we need to be redeemed, and I and then, so so I think that's a I think that's a is certainly a theological weakness uh, of the song, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So so I think this the song could be strengthened by by well, first of all, uh, uh, I I think you're right. I think that uh, the phrase flesh and blood was meant to be as the scriptures talk about the flesh, so the sinful flesh. So Paul says not to gratify the desires of the flesh, but that's different than saying not to gratify the desires of flesh and blood, uh, because that is just a reference to our humanity. So uh, I'm afraid that's going to be all the time we have. So what's your final verdict on this? Uh, I think it could be cleaned up and it could be helpful for the church. It's almost there. It just needs a little more work. All right. And thank you for listening to Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like... Oh, I can't even think like of anything. Points. Thanks Where for the- listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. 
Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the capitalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.